Well, uh, tonight's message is crossover from regrets. And uh, the song that we sang talked about, I don't have any regrets when I think about the way he loves me. You know, my regrets are covered by that love of God that uh, is really in us if we know Christ because it says the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God by the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts so that we walk in the love of God. Now, whether we allow that love to flow through us uh, to others or in our lives is our choice, but we have love within us. And uh, at the end of that song, I always like to sing how he loves me because it's important. You know that song, that old hymn that we used to sing in Sunday school, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, God is love. And so to understand the love of God, then we begin to speak that I am loved even when I'm not lovely. How many of you have a day, we don't have to raise your hand, but every now and then, that you, somebody with you tonight would say, well, they're not all that lovely. Hallelujah. There are days. And I think we all have those days, but the Holy Spirit on the inside of every one of us wants us to know the love of God. And tonight, if you'll turn with me to Psalm 32.7, um, when I was uh, in Tulsa this year at Word Explosion, um, a lady spoke... Uh, her name's Pat Bailey. She's a, a woman who travels the world and does missions work. Uh, when she came to Victory, when my husband and I were there in the early 80s, she came as a single mom with a little boy, uh, not very much money, but felt called to the world. And uh, she just has an amazing testimony. But she shared uh, about how God had taken care of her all her life. And she gave this, this message about how she was in Africa. And uh, she went to leave wherever she was. And the plane that she was to fly out on didn't fly. And she had to be at the next place in Africa <laughs> where she was going. And it wasn't like, I'll just drive over to Kokomo or down to Indianapolis. I'm talking, you know, not, not the kind of roads we ride on, not the way we travel. But she was determined to get that, that next destination. So there were some people who offered to take her to the next town. But the next town wasn't where she was going. But then when she got to that town, she said, well, I'll just believe God that there will be somebody there to get me to my destination. And, and she talked about how she got out of the car in this one place. It was night. She made it from town to town. God provided just everywhere she turned, God provided a way for her to get to the next place. But this one night she got out and there was nobody there. But there was this taxi over here and, and, and she felt like she was supposed to go over there. But it was just parked along the side of the road. She took some real opportunities because we're not talking about, you know, bright street lights on the corner showing you where to walk or, you know, police walking around. Uh, making sure you're safe. She's with another woman traveling through Africa. And she, she just told the story. It was, it was really, uh, at some points, a little bit intimidating and a little scary, the things she encountered. But she walked up, and the cab driver said, "What well, we've been waiting for you. And she got in the cab, and she went. Well, she got to the next town, and she was able to catch a flight then to where she was going from this particular place she was in. But when she got there... The, uh, right before she was right in line to go get her ticket, and they shut the door. They shut the, the window. And she turned around, and she said, I can't believe we've come this far, and we're not going to get on that airplane to get to where I'm supposed to be. And, and the person behind her said, when they shut the door, the last ticket is for the person just standing outside. 
So she really got the last tickets. But she thought she had been cut off when the window went down. And so she got on the airplane, and her seat number was 32. And she said, I always, when God does something miraculous for me, she said, I always build a memorial to that. And you know, John said earlier, in this place tonight, we're going to mark this date as something God did in our lives. I believe that was prophetic because I believe what God told me was tonight people are going to cross over from their regret. But she built this memorial. She said she went in the bathroom and she thanked God, got down on her knees. And I'm telling you, in an airplane down on your knees in Africa probably isn't the most sanitary place to be. But she thanked God for getting her to where she had to go. And her memorial, instead of stones, was going to be seat 32. Seat 32. Well, her whole message was tied to, he's my hiding place. He's the one who takes care of me. And instantly when she said that, I thought, Psalm 32. And so I went up to her at a meeting we were in after, and I said, did, did you know Psalm 32 is Psalm 32.7? I'm sure you know it, but that's, that's you are my hiding place. You are my hiding place. And she said, really? She said, I didn't even connect it with my 32. But that 32 seat she was in, and she had been talking about him being her hiding place, the place who, where she had safety all, at all times was in him, no matter where she was in the most remote place. And 32 is that seat. And this is 32-7. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. And that's what she was sharing in her message was that scripture, not realizing even that that was Psalm 32. I'm telling you, God cares about the smallest details in our lives. I love stories like that because it says God knows exactly where we are. He even put her in an airplane in the right row, 32, that someday she would recognize. She said, I'm adding that to my testimony. It's Psalm 32, 7. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. You know, no matter where we are in our life, there is a place where we can go where there is safety and there is security. And it's not church. It's not a building. It's within the presence of God. And, and when we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, the presence of God is with us all the time. And as I was looking at this, it says in Psalm 9-9, and if you put that scripture up, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. In Psalm 91-2, it says again, I will save the Lord. He is my refuge. He is my safe place. He is, he is the place of where I am secure and he surrounds me with songs of deliverance. In other words, he surrounds me with a way of escape from, from whatever trouble I've gotten into. And then it says, my God in him, will I trust in, um, my Bible for refuge? It says a shelter, a protection, a fortress, a hope, a place of trust. And uh, in Colossians 3.3, 3, it says that our life is hidden in Christ. So in Christ, we are hidden. What does that mean? It means everything he did has hidden us from anything that can hurt us. We're protected. We've been taken care of by the blood of Jesus. And so when I was thinking about this message, uh, I was thinking about how people, uh, when they have regret, when they do something wrong, uh, how many of you have ever had a regret? You've done something you think, oh, I just wish that was dumb. You know, and, and you're even guilty of what 
you know, what you did. And, uh, and, and what God began to say to me was, instead of coming to the hiding place, people hide out. They, they do the opposite. They, they retreat. They pull away from the very thing that can heal them or bring them life. And so I was, uh, I was thinking about Adam and Eve. And it says in the scripture that when they, when they sinned and God came into the garden and began to call their names, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I hid myself. And, uh, and whenever uh, people get in a position where they know they were wrong, I believe the human nature is to hide. We hide because we're fearful of the consequences of what we've done. But there's no way of escape if we hide from God. There's only a way of escape if we get into the presence of God. Because he says, I am your hiding place. You are my hiding place, the psalmist said. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance so when we get in the presence of god there's a place of deliverance from the very thing that we have regret for but our tendency is to want to hide from those things i was thinking about moses you know when he um you know when he was trying to to fulfill really the calling on his life and and i say that to a lot of you tonight and i've had opportunity this week and uh, even today where god put me in a position where somebody told me exactly what I'm preaching to you tonight. You know, have you ever thought you heard God and started down that road and, and really thought you were on track and then found out you weren't on track? You know? And, and, and so the enemy tries to steal our confidence right then. Did, did we really hear God? And so Moses, uh, I, I think of his life because, you know, he was called of God to be the deliverer of Israel from the Egyptians. I mean, that was a calling that was on his life from the very beginning. But his first try at it didn't turn out all that good. And so when he he got in the position of trying to rescue his people, which was the thing that God had put on the inside of him, he made a mistake. And that mistake caused him to run away and hide. He ran away and and he hid. And if you read it in Exodus chapter 2... It says, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. How many of you know that's probably not the way to handle that? However, what he had in his heart was to help his people. I mean, so, you know, he he had the calling, he just begin to express it in, in the wrong way. And so it says, when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did wrong, why are you striking your companion? And they said to him, who made you a prince and judge over us? You know, I've, I've heard people say, who died and left you in control? Have you ever been around somebody who thinks they're the boss? And, you know, I've heard people say, who died and left you? Who, who died and left you in charge of everything? Well, this is the same kind of thing. What, who, who makes you think you're in charge? And now he's talking to two brothers, the people that he's called to rescue eventually. And they said, do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptians? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, I think this is strange because how many of you know Gideon? 
he was a man that when God found him, he was hiding from the Midianites, which is where Moses ran to, to get away from Pharaoh. He ran and he's by a well, which is the place where God found Gideon was in a hole of a well hiding out because he was afraid of the Midianites. You know, people hide when they have regret for things that they've done. And in that kind of place, there is no freedom. There is no freedom. There is only the opportunity for more torment and more if only. I wish I would have. I wish I could have. I'm sorry I did. How, how many of you lived those kind of thoughts? I've lived in that place. I know what that place is. And sometimes because the, I, the word of God would become a hammer, I didn't want to go to God because I thought, well, you know, I, I, I did wrong. So how's that going to help me? I didn't realize that the word of God says that he is the place of refuge. In other words, when we run to him, the very thing that we're trying to escape from will be, will be freed from our life. And so tonight, as we're here, I looked at um, Exodus chapter 3, and I felt the word of the Lord was cross over from regrets and start over. And I believe that's a word for all of you tonight. Now, you can say, oh, it's just New Year's. That's why she's saying this. Well, I don't know if this is the reason God's saying it, but I do know that tonight is a night to cross over. Tonight is a night to make a decision that what has limited me in the past is no longer going to limit me. And a lot of it has to do with regret. Once we enter into a place where we regret our past decisions and we meditate on those, we can no longer go forward. And John said it tonight. We are going forward. I just had a revelation when I was talking with someone. They said, you know, I feel like we got stuck. You know, how many of you have ever thought, well, what happened? We were doing really good, and then all of a sudden everything stopped. How many of you ever felt like that? I've, I've had those opportunities. And, and fortunately, I had read once in Faith to Faith by Brother Copeland, if you're stuck, everybody say stuck, then you go back to the place where you last saw the abundance of God and the flow of God in your life and find out where you got stuck because whatever happened right there is why you are stuck and you have to fix that. Some people think that's going backward, but God told me, no, that's going forward because ever since you were stuck, you haven't been going anywhere. So going back to that place doesn't mean you're going backward. It means you're going forward. Even though you're going back to the place, you're going forward because you're going to the place where you got stuck and you're going to start again. Does that make sense? Have you followed me so far? You know, you're going backward to go forward because you're stuck. But, but, but when that came to me, I thought that's true. I mean, that's true in people's lives. They have to go back to the original place where something stopped. You know, maybe it was you were running. The Bible says you were running well. Who hindered you? In Galatians chapter 5, it wasn't of me. You know, the enemy finds ways to hinder us and bring us back to a place where we get stuck. My little granddaughter that's two, Molly, she, she, when she tries it, she got a Christmas present. And it had a little, it was a little um, horse that was inside in this little thing that she got. And she grabbed it and she tried to get it. She wanted that horse. She goes, it stuck, it stuck, it stuck. And, and why I was stuck was because underneath, Fisher-Price glues everything to the paper with a million little, you know, you think you're about to get the gift out, and then there's more things to untwist and 
tear apart, you know, to get the thing. But we finally got it unstuck, and she got it out, you know. And I believe there's a lot of believers, based on what I heard in the park this morning as I was praying, that are stuck. They're stuck. Because to go back in their mind is not some place they want to go. Because when we go back, we always have to fix it. And when we go back to fix something, the thing we felt when we ran away from it the first time, we are going to feel again. I promise you, you will feel it again. But once you get unstuck, you will never feel it again. Once you take care of it, then it's cut off. Why? Because when you go back to a place and you repent in the presence of God, repentance brings the presence of God. And when you get in that position, you get set free. And you're not stuck anymore. You're not stuck in that place where you're going to be destroyed. It says in Exodus 3, Moses was tending the flock, Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he, had fl- and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning. We all know this story. And it says, Moses turned aside and see- to see the great sight. Why does the bush not burn? Why does why the bush does not burn? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals. The feet, the place where you're uh, standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father. He identified him as covenant God. Everybody say covenant God. And then it says, Moses hid his, Moses hid his, Moses hid his face he was afraid to look upon God. I believe what happened way back in Moses' life was still affecting his life. He hid. He hid. But when he began to get into the presence of God, he even became free when God told him, even though you made a mistake. Because remember, he still had made a mistake. He had killed a man. You know, now some of you in here uh, may have regret, but, you know, I don't, I don't know that any of you have killed somebody. But Moses had killed somebody. And yet, what God had called him to do, he was still called to do. God still pulled him into his presence. And when he got him in his presence, says, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmaster, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them. Everybody say, deliver them. Wherever the presence of the Lord is, there's deliverance. There is deliverance. You know, I don't know about any of you in here, but if, if you've been delivered from something, you have a very grateful heart. How many of you know that's true? I mean, not, you know, you didn't do it in your own ability. You know, God did it for you. You know, I, I, my greatest example, and some of you have heard my uncle share and you've seen him here, is when God delivered him from, I mean, alcoholism that was destroying his life. But I saw God supernaturally deliver that man because he could not not drink i mean it he was so addicted and god delivered him i mean took that desire right out of his life now did he fight thoughts and old things that tried to come and the regret he lost his before he got set free finally got set free he lost his wife he lost his children he lost his job he was He had nothing. He lost his teaching retirement fund. He lost and he lost and he lost and he lost. And he could have had a lot of regret. You know, regret will leave you with a pity party 
and you never get free. Because the only one who comes to that celebration is the devil. And he just accuses you of more and more and holds you in that place of regret. And so we had opportunities where he would get into regret, my husband and I, when he lived with us. And you could see him go from being strong in the thing that God was doing in his life to becoming just very weak and, and, you know, head down, there he went. And every time he got in that place, you know, he called me the warden. That's, he still calls me that today. It's a loving word, warden. He thought he had gone to jail when he arrived at my house. And he even said to my husband one day on the way to church, how do you put up with her? He said, you know, I get tired of her. And he called Lori Pammy Jr. Warden. Because when I left her in charge of him, she talked to him just like I did. We had to be very firm. But we were being firm with that stronghold that was in his life that would pull him back to regret. Because as soon as he'd go back to regret, he was a target to go right back to that alcohol. He wasn't addicted anymore, but he had a lot of regret. He wasn't addicted to the alcohol, but he had a place where the enemy could come. It's called regret. How how many of you remember Frank Sinatra's regrets? I've had a few, but then a few too few to mention. And he said he did it his way. I'm telling you, if you do it your way, you're going to have plenty of regrets. (laughs) I got regrets from when I did it my way, lots of them. And I got a few of them only since I've known Jesus trying to do it his way. I still have some regrets. But tonight, I believe God is saying everybody gets another chance. You know, and when we started this church, we started this church with that very basis, my husband and I, because we got a chance to start over. That's what we got. That's why we preach love, acceptance, and forgiveness. You know, the Bible says to whom much has been forgiven, that person is able to forgive much. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't think you have to go sin a whole lot so you can get into that position. But if you've been there, then use it for good. Because God forgives. God forgives. He is mercy. When, when Moses said after he was, well, let me finish this. It says, so he came to, God came to deliver everybody, and he chose Moses. Now, I don't think Moses felt real qualified for this position, not just because it says he couldn't talk, he didn't think properly, and Aaron got to go along and be his spokesperson, but I believe he had regret for the past. I believe he had regret just like you and I would if we had made a mistake like that and killed somebody. And maybe what you're facing tonight didn't kill anybody, but words can kill That old saying that says sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is false because words have lots of power. And there's a lot of people that are broken because of words. There's a lot of people that know their words have broken people. I was one of those. You know, I had to repent to my mother because, I mean, I had a mouth on me that I'm telling you, I could say a lot. And I did. Hallelujah. And And I was, as a teenager, very, very rebellious. Uh, to, to somebody telling me what to do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got over it uh, when I got saved. <laughs> I had ways of rebelling, and some of you do too. That isn't what you call rebelling, but it's manipulative rebellion. Don't everybody shout me down when I'm <laughs> preaching truth. But God doesn't want us to live in those places. God wants to set us free from those. Moses came to set them free, and this is what God said to him. 
Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. This is, this is God's word to, to Moses. That you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, his last recollection of that was not a good one. I mean, that wasn't a good recollection. But he said, so Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's kind of like the guy who said, who died and left you in charge? You know, Moses is thinking that about himself. Who am I that I should be able to go do this? And God said, everybody say, God said, I will certainly be with you. That's all he said. He didn't go back and rehearse past failures. He didn't say anything. He just said, my presence will be with you. And when Moses said, well, well, who, who should I tell him sent me? He said, I am. Isn't that great? I mean, going back to where you made a huge mistake. And uh, you just say, who sent you? Who, who, you know, I mean, what's he going to face? The last people were his people who said to him, who do you think you are? And now he's going to, now, so now he wants a name besides his for credibility. So he asked God and God says, just, just tell him I am. I am who? Who is I am? Well, what is I am? I am all that you need. I am your sufficiency. He is the I am. And of course we know the story of Moses. Well, you know, um, in the end, Moses did not get to go to the promised land because he got angry with the people. He struck a rock when God told him to speak to a rock. I wonder if he had a regret. He did because he said, please just let me see it. Just let me see the promised land. I believe that a lot of us in this room can look back and have situations. And the time that regrets happen is a holiday time. And God knows that. I mean, that's the time where there's the most suicidal people uh, in, in, in institutions. That's the time when people are, are crying out uh, to get rid of whatever that is that, that has held them. It's around those times. Why? Because we are relational people. And when we have regret, it is a stronghold in our life. It's a bondage to our life. And, and I was looking at uh, when the children of Israel, you know, they, they messed up. And I'm sure those guys had a regret when they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years because of a decision that they made. You can read it in the Word of God in Deuteronomy. It quotes uh, numbers, and it says, you know, once they found out God was really going to send them to the wilderness, they said, hey, we'll, we'll try it now. You know, by the way, I think we'll, I, we can do it. And he said, don't do it because I am not with you. I'm not with you. He wasn't with them because they had... They had walked away from him to do what they wanted to do. Well, anytime you walk away from what God can deliver you from, you are more in bondage than you were before. And 40 years they sat in that mess. And then finally, in Deuteronomy, uh, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, I love this. It says, you've been sitting at this mountain long enough. The Lord spoke to, to our, our God spoke to us in Horeb and said, you have dwelt long enough at this mountain. It's time to leave. And he took that next generation out of that wilderness and he brought them to the promised land. And when they got to that promised land, this is a generation of people that God has given another chance. Everybody say another chance. Another chance. And he again, just like he proved to that first generation when he got them out over the Red Sea, he proves to this generation over the Jordan that he still is the God who can do miracles to take care of them. He does it again. But this time, he tells them to make a memorial. 
Everybody say a memorial. And so when John was talking earlier, I had already thought of this, uh, this lady that shared about how she would, she would make a memorial for every time she saw God be just super God in her life. And I believe tonight, those of you that are here, and, and you know who you are. I mean, I don't know what your situation in your life is. But I believe when we have church, God brings us here and draws us by his spirit to do something in our lives. I don't believe it's just to go to church because it's Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I believe God has a purpose for every one of us tonight sitting here. And, and when we let God take that message and, and say, okay, then we get out of ourselves and he takes over. Just like when he said to Moses, here's a burning bush, and Moses turned aside to look. You know why God let him see? Because he turned aside. In other words, he stopped and he looked. He, he got his attention. God got his attention, and he looked, and then God began to speak to him. People go come to church all the time, and I'm not saying tonight in this place, but people come to church, and they're really not turning to look. I mean, you have to turn and look. And when you look into the face of the Lord, he said to Moses, uh, when, when, remember when they had the golden calf? You know, that group he brings out, they get the golden calf, the first group. And they, they, I mean, and Aaron, who's the high priest of everything, says, you know, I was just standing here. They, you know, something happened and a cow jumped out of the fire. And I don't know. I mean, I was just here. I don't have a thing to do with it. He's the one who said, bring me your jewelry. He was lying to God. That's pretty bold. Because he was lying to Moses. I don't know. I was just standing here. These people just went wacko on me and they... I mean, that's what I'd say about you guys. I don't know. They just, the whole church just went berserk. I don't know. You know, I mean, anybody, you know, he didn't want to, no, I wouldn't. But, you know, that's, I mean, that's what he did. He, he, he gave up his leadership position right there. And, uh, and he said, you know, these people, they just, you know, they, they did this. And, and God was, it, it said that, that you know, uh, that what was it Aaron said to Moses? Now, don't get hot. <laughs> I think Moses might have had a little temper. And he said, no, don't get hot about this, you know. Well, we already know, you know, back there he killed that Egyptian. So he might have had just a quick trigger in that regard. But, but he said, don't get hot about it. it you know, it's, it's okay. Well, it wasn't okay with God. And there was some destruction that came out of that. But when Moses said to God, listen, I mean, how are they going to know we're different from anybody else? I mean, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. What was he asking for? His presence. His presence. And God said, I'll go with you. And he said, let me see your glory. And you know what God showed him? His goodness. You know, we expect, you know, a big blaze and, you know, I don't know what all glory would be to anybody, you know, a cloud or whatever. And he said, okay, I'll show you my glory. I'll show you my goodness. His mercy. His mercy. The regrets that we have, God has mercy for. And that's why he says, I'm the hiding place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High dwells in the shadow of God Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my shelter. He is my hiding place. That's where he wants us to come tonight. And when he took those children of Israel across that Jordan, when they finally entered the promised land in, in Joshua, it says he told them to put stone, to take stones with them and build a memorial. In other words, I want you to remember this place. And the reason for it was for future generations. 
Because he said, when they look back on this, these will be a sign. And I want to read to you from Joshua 4. It said, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan. Now, this is the second generation of, of Israelites over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest feet stood firm. In other words, those priests led that parade. They, they led them across that water. Now, you know, in right where they stood, he wanted them to get stones. And he says, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had pointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said, cross over. And I believe they were crossing over from regret. Where they had missed it once, they were now getting a second chance. Everybody say second chance. They were crossing over into the promises of God. When I was talking with this one person, I said, um, they said, you know, what we're doing looks like we're going backward. But God said we're going forward. And just like that, God said to me, that is me. Because they were never going forward before. Now they get a chance to go forward. And it says... Cross over before the ark of the Lord into the midst of the Jordan. Each one of you take up a stone on the shoulder according to the number of the tribes. There were 12 tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel. When John said tonight, I believe December 29th. Did you hear him say that when we, right after we finished work? I believe December 29th will be a, a time that is marked for us. I believe that's exactly what I saw today was in this place. You will be able to mark it. You will be able to mark it that Tonight, in this place, your regrets were left behind. So I say to you tonight, what do the stones mean to you? The stones mean God took care of it. You go from where you, th where you thought you were supposed to be to where you're supposed to be. Would you stand with me tonight? Father, I thank you for everything. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you've drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.